0: Is the, the whole intention behind this project, which is probably going to take about 30 years to complete if I'm doing ISIS and the secret doctrine, is really just to help people with their kind of studying of, of theosophy, if they want to look into it more deeply or they want to look into Blavatsky's work more deeply. I mean there were spirits who were kind of like celebrities, like Katie King and John King. were were, you know, mentioned in the national press and and, and in the international press. And there was this huge debate uh, raging around, you know, scientists investigating spiritual phenomena. Yeah, I mean, she she particularly talked about um, ancient Egypt being a center of knowledge um, and, you know, Pythagoras and, Jesus and Moses kind of learning a lot of things from, from uh, ancient Egypt. And um, also the idea of, of humanity being incredibly old and not necessarily following the path that, that we've been led to believe that it, it follows. So she talks about ancient races. She talks about Atlantis. She talks about you know the Lemurians before the Atlanteans and then other kind of versions of humanity. But um, for, for theosophists, um, the Atlanteans were, were bigger than we were. And, the, and before then, there, there were the, the, the Lemurians who were bigger than, than the Atlanteans. And it was only in the, in the Lemurian period that um, humanity separated out into, into male and female. And um, so the, the, the Lemurians began um, as, as giants, but they didn't um, reproduce in the way that we do now. So, um, yeah, theosophy does kind of follow the arc of of humanity getting smaller and also becoming more materialistic. Um, And the the original um, human race was was kind of uh, non-corporeal, really, kind of gaseous. So really, the the idea of of the root races is, is um, a kind of era of humanity and and the root races go back to the, the, the first and second root races who were kind of not really um, that physically formed. They were more ethereal and, and, and non-corporeal and then you have the, the third root race which is the Lemurians and then the fourth root race which is, is primarily the Atlanteans and then we're now in the fifth root race and then there will be another two um, that will will develop, and and we're now at the bottom of the kind of the the involutionary arc. So so we're as material. We just past that point of being as material and obsessed with the material world um, as we can possibly be. And as we move upwards, um, we'll develop more kind of. What people might describe as, I don't know, supernatural, spooky powers, you know, more telepathy, uh, more ability to read each other's thoughts and communicate in that way as we move into the sixth and seventh um, eras of humanity or root races, if you like.
1: Hello and welcome to The Spirit Box. Today we're joined by author Moon Laramie, who discusses his new publication, Blavatsky Unveiled Volume 1. Now, Blavatsky's original occult masterpiece, Isis Unveiled, covers a wide range of topics from ancient Egyptian mystery schools and the cosmogenesis to the conflict between science and spiritualism. But Blavatsky's elaborate Victorian prose can really present quite a stumbling block to the 21st century reader. So in the book, uh, Moon Laramie addresses these linguistic challenges by rendering the original text for the first time ever into easily accessible modern English. But it also has a quite a detailed set of notes and a comprehensive who's who section. It's 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 really quite a, it's quite a tome. I mean, it's a, it's a serious psychedelic ride through the world of seances, skeptical scientists, multiple Earths, Atlantis, Lemuria, giants, and and a vastly different view of human history. So if you're not familiar with Blavatsky, we have you covered. And Moon gives an overview of her background and life story. So don't get put off that you have to do some background reading for this to make sense. In the plus section we get into Perpetual Lamps and Alkahest, the Universal Solvent. If that sounds tempting, head on over to the podcast Patreon for the extended show and the monthly bonus content. Now before we get into the show, I want to talk to you about a project I've been working on with creative technologist David Tidman called the, The Sigil Engine. So it was part of an art project really exploring technomancy, asking the question as to whether magic was possible via digital means. Um, The way to find out we decided was to build something that would enable us to build a sigil uh, via a digital format and see what happens. Um, and then release that to the public now if you don't know what a sigil is check out grant morrison's legendary talk on the subject i'll leave the link in the show notes for those of you more familiar with sigil magic we based the process on the camo model blended with the standard phrase model we used a circle instead of a square as it creatively worked better and as a nod to the Guita. one of the things that sets it apart from similar tools apart from it being better i am um, is we specifically went for a beautiful aesthetic. The reason being the beauty and quality of the look and feel of how the sigil animates when it's been created. We thought it would add to the process. We thought it would kind of give a bit of mystique and mystery, which I thought was uh, would be a, a, an essential part of it, feeling magical. It's still a prototype and there are lots of additions to be made but on launch it will generate a sigil uh, based on one's attention which is then downloadable as a PNG uh, and a stencil file. In due course we plan to add CAD files to the download pack so people can 3D print their sigils or bring them to an artist or a sculptor or a jeweler who, who uses 3D software and they can do whatever they want with the um, with the sigil. How you decide to charge them? Well, I'll I'll leave that to you um so the patrons of the show will be the first testers but i will share it via twitter and reddit once it's good to go um, speaking of which uh, a big thank you to ankht here patrons ariel marco steph and robert your support means a lot and i'm very grateful okay so without further ado let's hand over to moon laramie on with the show
0: Well, um, I'm an author and a Theosophist, and I principally write about Theosophy. And um, studying Theosophy, I started out looking at Isis Unveiled, um, which, as you, you're probably aware, is quite a challenging text. And when I was um, when I was at the Theosophical Society, we were told that the, you know the, the the best way to approach Blavatsky's work is to dip in and dip out of it. But I never ever do what I'm told. So I just started reading it from the first line of the first chapter. And, you know, it's, it's really challenging because it's, um, it's written in, in what I would kind of term as a very um, high-flown Victorian style, almost kind of like a debating society style. And you know, I mean, um, I found out that the the average sentence in in modern English is around fifteen to twenty words long. But Blavatsky, I mean, she writes beautifully, but there are sentences in Isis Unveiled and I think in the Secret Doctrine that are about two hundred words long. And uh, you know, I mean, as, as modern readers, readers, it's it's really difficult for us to kind of access that. And the other thing about it is is that she wrote it in eighteen seventy seven and you know, there are so many people that she mentions that were well known in 1877 but aren't necessarily so well known to us today. So what I decided to do was to, to kind of, of go through the text and, and literally modernize um, each sentence and each paragraph of, of the text so that you can kind of access those ideas more easily, plus also to kind of produce a, a full who's who of everybody she mentions in the text and also um all of the the references that that she makes that might be quite obscure and i i just went from the basis of somebody that knows nothing about theosophy or blavatsky so um, every kind of reference is cited and 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 explained and um all of the people that she mentions and it's all kind of put into into modern english but it's the first seven chapters of volume one of Isis Unveiled so it's it's just a quarter of the book that this first volume that I've done so far.
1: Now I can I can imagine that um as with most things in 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 the kind of a uh, you know esoteric world that you get real traditionalists and you get real um purists so I I, I I'd imagine that there were a few eyebrows raised uh, at this undertaking. I mean, what was the, uh, what's the reaction been like?
0: Um, it's been very, very positive, actually. I haven't so far met anyone um, who's a theosophist that said that they are, that, that they don't approve of the idea, because I think everyone is, is kind of struggling um, to access Blavatsky's work. So um, I've had a very, very positive um, and very supportive, you know, kind of feedback from people. I mean, I'm sure there are people out there um, who are are raising some eyebrows. But, you know, I mean, the the thing is that the whole intention behind this project, which is probably going to take about 30 years to complete if I'm doing ISIS and the secret doctrine is really just to help people with their kind of studying of, of theosophy, if they want to look into it more deeply or they want to look into Blavatsky's work more deeply. Um, I kind of think of, you know how, well, when I was a kid um, in, in the 70s and the 80s and we studied Shakespeare in school, we didn't have any modern English versions. We had to sit there in class writing, you know, in modern English over the text. And now, na- nowadays, there are there are modern English versions of, of Shakespeare. So I think the thing is with Blavatsky is you get further and further away from, you know, 1877, the the language becomes more and more alien to us. So um, I see it as kind of like, you know, that kind of helpful modern English version of of a text that's difficult to access. So, you know, you don't have to kind of, I I wouldn't imagine that people would look at Blavatsky Unveiled and say, I'm only going to look at that. I mean, if, if you are a serious student of theosophy and and you know serious about studying the occult and esotericism you would you would still always return to the original the original text i think
1: yeah that, that makes perfect sense you know um it's it's just that thing within the kind of the the kind of esoteric uh kind of um hermetic and metaphysical community whatever you want to call it there's always one there's always one who will have you know a problem with something you know um but uh, you know it that, that makes a lot of sense you know it, it's it's bringing it up up to up to up to date and making it accessible for people uh, that makes a lot of sense and i think the one thing i would really like to ask cuz obviously kind of you're, you're a theosophist so blavatsky is is i guess uh, uh, you know a core text for for you in, in in that regard but blavatsky's work rather take taking apart kind of the process that you that you uh used to to do this to 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 look at each sentence to modernize it to unpack it and, and then again to to kind of uh bring um that who's who to life with the text what was looking back on that process what was the thing that surprised you the most what what kind of really Gave you fresh eyes on, on on the on the corpus of work, or, or or indeed kind of um, just something that you you a kernel that may may have not been prevalent before.
0: I think really <clears throat> there were two things. One was that it was tremendous fun. I mean, it really is a roller coaster ride, you know, through this amazing world because you've got you've got the the, the conflict between science and spiritualism. At the time, you've got. A whole kind of, you know, panorama of of, of ancient texts and, and different belief systems. Uh, you've got um, the idea of cycles of, of the universe, you've got cataclysms, you've got Atlantis, you've got the Lemurians, you've got all of this marvellous stuff all contained just in these first seven chapters. So it really is so rich and colourful, I found. And also the other thing that really surprised me was I think particularly with Isis Unveiled is it's such a historical document, you know, it shows you exactly what was happening around 1877 and, you know, those those kind of um, the, the the late 19th century um, in terms of, of the Victorians' obsession with the supernatural um, and particularly with, with séances and spiritualism. I mean, there were spirits who were kind of like celebrities like Katie King and John King were were you know mentioned in the national press and, and and in the international press and there was this huge debate uh, raging around you know scientists investigating spiritual phenomena um so it was just a marvelous kind of roller coaster ride and and, and and a real kind of window into what it was like you can almost reach out and touch it sometimes you actually feel like you were there um, in, in the way that she describes, you know, uh, different people talking about their views and the skeptics and the non-skeptics and this whole kind of thing that was going on. And you've also got mesmer and, and, and the whole thing around mesmerism um, and the French Academies investigating mesmer. So it's it's really rich and colourful. And I think that's something that that we don't always think about Blavatsky. We we think it's it's almost like you're going in and you're having a tutorial almost. But there's this kind of richness and adventure. the whole thing um which i think it's very easy to miss you know when you're kind of dipping in and dipping out to tiny little bits
1: so some of our listeners may have not been um may have not picked up a copy of of of, uh blavatsky's work um just to kind of help orientate people can you um tell us who, who blavatsky is
0: well blavatsky was um a ukrainian mystic and she was born um she was born in eighteen thirty in the Ukraine, and she, um, when she was very young, she uh, experienced supernatural like, visits from from beings who she described as as her hunchbacks, and she was very um, she was very kind of, of not of this this world in many many respects. Um, and she was always on a quest. When she was very young, when she, when she was a teenager, um, she went to stay with her grandfather. And he had this enormous library, which contained lots and lots of, of occult books. And she literally devoured them. I mean, she was absolutely fascinated with them. And when she was older, she went on a, on, on a journey across the world. Um, I mean, she was was from quite an affluent family, so she had those resources, she was fortunate enough in that respect, but she went on this quest to uh, look at why, you know, why we're here, um, the whole ideas of cosmogony and all the different belief systems. She went to Tibet, um, she went to South America, she she travelled everywhere and she met lots of different people and she read lots of different books, and in Tibet she discovered um, secret texts, which she then shared with the world, or the ideas of those texts she shared with the world in a book called The Secret Doctrine, which is it's really her magnum, magnum opus. Um, but what she did was she kind of brought to the West all of these ideas around Eastern mysticism and ancient mysticism, which were kind of being dismissed at the time. You know, there was this idea Um, in the air in in, in England and and European countries and in America, that that being white and European and being Western made you superior to everybody else. And Blavatsky was saying that when people who were Victorians, for example, and and in the British Raj, were saying that the ideas that people had around spirituality in India um, were inferior and and savage was was a word that they used often. Um, she said, no, their ideas and, and, and their belief system is equal to, if not superior in, in, in some ways, to, to the ideas of, of, of exoteric Christianity. And um, so people often say that, that the whole kind of modern movement around spirituality, you always find your way back to Blavatsky because she was the person that brought that kind of comparative study of religions and said they've all got... single route so um she was quite groundbreaking in 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 that respect in what she did and at the time when she when she formed the theosophical society in in 1875 and the objects of the theosophical society were were quite modern really i mean the idea of of the whole of humanity being a, a universal brotherhood regardless of race and regardless of nationality and religion and and gender um those kind of things were were not really the majority view at the time. So her ideas were very revolutionary, and she was very challenging, um, and that's why you know there were a lot of people that were out to kind of discredit her and and, and dismiss her.
1: Certainly, looking at the the time frame, I mean, as despite her, um, I guess, privileged background, um, doing that kind of work as a woman at the time traveling i mean globally traveling i mean to 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 significantly remote areas i mean india is 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 hard to travel around now um i can only imagine what it was like in in blavatsky's time but you can you can you can really admire the 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 drive and um encourage courage to to go and explore and, and and seek out in the way she did um and and i think that's something I'd, I'd i'd really like to to unpack that that the knowledge of looking back through time and 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 pulling together these this this great n- narrative back into the past you know um you, you touched on something when 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 you were just uh, t- talking about the book in terms of things like uh, the cataclysms ancient history and that, that that's a a topic that i just adore um and i really can't get enough of um so could you talk to that a bit, that kind of that knowledge that she brought back from her travels in, in, in India and uh, Tibet, around the ancient world?
0: Yeah, I mean, she she particularly talked about um, ancient Egypt be, being a center of knowledge um, and, you know, Pythagoras and um, Jesus and Moses kind of learning a lot of things from from uh, ancient Egypt. And um also the idea of of humanity being incredibly old and not necessarily following the path that that we've been led to believe that it it follows. So she talks about ancient races, she talks about Atlantis, she talks about the Lemurians before the Atlanteans and then other kind of versions of humanity uh, before that. And what she she very much emphasizes is the idea that, that our progress and our evolution works in in cycles so we build up to a certain point and then uh humanity or the civilization at the time is is devastated by either fire or or water um so obviously the atlanteans were were uh, destroyed by water their civilization that that was the cataclysm and and then looking at, at the current situation for us um you know our cataclysm when it eventually comes to kind of rebalance and reset for the next cycle will be fire. Um, and there are certain parallels obviously today with global warming and with the situation with nuclear weapons and that kind of thing that that makes one wonder, you know, is 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 that kind of an, an indicator of, of where we might be headed for 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 that next um end of the cycle. But um, what I find really really fascinating was is, is that she pulls all of these ideas together. You know she will look at symbolism in in different religions and she'll pull it all together to say that you know for example talking about um the 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 existence of of giants in in the past she'll talk about um uh hinduism and she'll talk about christianity and and there's the stories in those different religions that look, up, look that look at, at the existence of uh, of giants and and how they all kind of come back to those early races, and they describe them, but they describe them in different ways. You know, she talks about um, in the Vedas, um, you know, the first humans being giants, and that um, Brahman, the one, of the first humans, marries a giant called uh, Dantany, um, and then she compares that with with the Norse myths and the giants, the ice, the frost giants in the Norse myths. So. She pulls all of these strands together in all of these ancient um, mythologies and, and, and traditions. They all seem to have similar things um, in their kind of, of uh, depiction of, of the evolution of humanity.
1: It's really interesting that you you, you pick on on the the, the giant stuff. Um, because i was gonna i was gonna kind of ask you about really you know how does theosophy and kind of the work you're doing how does that align with say some of the work that uh graham hancock's done with things like the younger dryas where you know we we there he builds a very solid argument for kind of there was a a celestial impact and and there and an absolute kind of unbelievable cataclysm um that was flood-based and and, and pulls together kind of the the geographical evidence for that um but then you went on to mention giants so you've you've picked on two of, like my favorite subjects to explore which um i i i'm not sure you're familiar with um the kind of the work of andrew collins and uh, dr gregory little and they've pulled together a book called uh dennis Denisvian. I can I just can't pronounce it I've just, every time I try I always make a balls of trying to pronounce this word Denizovian um uh, origins and it's basically related to a, a a cave in in Russia where they found kind of some some um molar teeth uh, for uh, a a a humanoid uh a hominid which is is immense it's, it's it's a very large hominid um or a human really it's very close to a modern human um and trace that dna uh out through kind of europe and into the americas um but they reckon the stature of of these particular uh, human beings were kind of regularly kind of seven foot plus so there, there there are kind of there are reasonable archaeological arcs now to support both the idea of a deluge and the idea of human beings of immense stature or a branch of the human family, really, um, of immense stature. And I was wondering, is is, is that something that um, theosophy is is, is plating into the the work of lovatsky or are they seeing those kind of those correlations in in say some of the modern research that's happening at the moment?
0: Well, um theosophy uh, looks in particular in in terms of human evolution, at um, the, the human race kind of descending from the celestial and coming more and more into the material and becoming, you know, at the moment we're at the bottom of, of the what we call the involutionary cycle. So we are very, very materialistic. And the Atlanteans were very materialistic. So we kind of inherited um, a little bit of that um, in terms of our materialism and obsession with glamour and all of those things nowadays. But um, for, for theosophists, um, the Atlanteans were, were bigger than we were. And, the, and before then, there, there were the, the, the Lemurians who were bigger than, than the Atlanteans. And it was only in the, in the Lemurian period that um, humanity separated out into, into male and female. and um, So the, the, the Lemurians began um, as, as giants, but they didn't um, reproduce in the way that we do now. So um, yeah, Theosophy does kind of follow the arc of, of humanity getting smaller, and also becoming more materialistic. Um, and the, the original um, human race were, was kind of uh, noncorporeal, really, kind of gaseous to, to begin with. So that's all kind of linked in with the with the idea of um, chains and rounds, which is is a is an absolute nightmare of a, of a complicated subject as well, because you've got the kind of the, the planet earth becoming more solidified um and you've got the different versions of the planet earth the ethereal the astral you know all of those kind of things and that that's all linked in with that cycle of evolution so it's an immense and and it's a bit like spaghetti junction trying to kind of un, unpick bits of it and untangle bits of it is is quite a quite a job um really but you know i mean that that is a big part of of the theosophical Uh, picture of of humanity's evolution is that you know before um before our kind of of era of humanity human beings were much bigger I mean I recently read um Colin Wilson's book on on Atlantis and um he was talking about you know much like you was talking about the evidence the 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 archaeological evidence for example of, of human beings being around a lot earlier than than we've been led to believe um so I think he actually said that that the amount of kind of bones of, you know, dinosaurs and humans that have been found um, is something like less than 1% of what's actually out there. So we really don't have a full picture um, of, you know, what things were really like and, and how we really were in those kind of, you know, in, in those times that are so immensely far away from us now.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the, there is a huge amount of kind of like out-of-time artifacts, things that don't make sense. And um it's it's really interesting looking at kind of the 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 story of time and the story of humanity that Blavatsky lays out. Um and I I I was quite interested in, in in how it's like a parallel um narrative at the same time when kind of a scientific narrative was being laid out in 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 this during the same period in terms of of kind of humanity's progress and humanity's evolution um but also kind of like this waterfall progress of time you know where there was a, a an absolute an absolute start and then intermittent stages and where we are but this assumption that there was an absolute start that there kind of is um or sorry, an, an assumption around the time frame of that absolute start. More importantly, and there's just been this really kind of dogmatic scientific devotion to that idea of like this is the time frame and that's it. And anything that actually doesn't fit into that time frame doesn't fit into that narrative. We just ignore, you know, or, or we, we we claim fraud. But actually, there's a vast amount of of archaeological artifacts that support uh, uh, broadly. That it isn't the case at all that we're, we're far older than the, the, the several hundred thousand years that we're, we're credited with, or indeed, kind of like modern human beings as being kind of around for a relatively short period of time in terms of of um, antiquity. Um, but what Blavatsky is painting is is a picture of tens, or sorry, hundreds of thousands of years going way back. Um, and back to the root races then we're talking about various different root races Um actually could, that might be useful for people as well. Can you, can you talk to the idea of, of root races and the kind of the different ages and how that fits together?
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the, the root races really is, um I suppose in a way race is a bit of an unfortunate term for it because what it's, it's kind of describing is an era of, of humanity. Um, so, at the moment um i mean you you had the the atlanteans were the fourth root race and now um we are in the 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 um fifth root race and um we are the Aryans, and that's obviously an unfortunate term as well um because obviously it was adopted by certain people to um kind of link them back to where the Aryans originally started from, which was was in the Indian subcontinent or around there, and to kind of um, justify certain political views and certain political agendas in order to um, say that certain people uh, had this ancient link and that made them superior to everybody else. So at the moment we're we're in that particular race, but when we talk about root races, it's kind of an era of humanity. That's how I think of it really, because What Blavatsky says, interestingly, coming back to the the idea of, you know, the evidence from archaeology, is she says that humanity doesn't necessarily evolve in these different time periods all at the same time. And she says that, you know, if if an archaeologist, if we were all destroyed or there was another cataclysm very soon, an archaeologist went to a remote island where um, a group of people weren't particularly um, advanced, if the archaeologists said, well, that was how human beings were in 2020, then they're giving a false picture because there's those people living there and there's, you know, other people living at a different level. Um, I mean, it comes back to that that whole thing of, of, what do they call them, cargo cultures, where something falls off a cargo plane in the middle yes, of...
1: Yes, yes, the, the Pacific Islands, right, yeah. Yeah, Definitely. I know what you're talking yeah.
0: about, yeah. So, so what Blavatsky is saying is that... Um, humanity isn't all all moving at the same speed at the same time you know people are are at different different stages so um so really the the idea of, of the root races is um a kind of era of humanity and and the root races go back to the 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 first and second root races who were kind of not really um that physically formed, they're more ethereal and, and, and non-corporeal. And then you had the, the third root race, which is the Lemurians, and then the fourth root race, which is, is primarily the Atlanteans. And then we're now in the fifth root race. And then there will be another two um, that will will develop. And, and we're now at the bottom of the kind of the, the involutionary arc. So so we as material we're just past that point of being as material and obsessed with the material world um, as we can possibly be and as we move upwards um, we'll develop more kind of what people might describe as I don't know supernatural spooky powers you know more telepathy uh, more ability to read each other's thoughts and communicate in that way as we move into the sixth and seventh um, eras of humanity or root races if you like.
1: And did um, did Blavatsky have any kind of um, like predictions around that kind of timeline? for for us to to develop into the next um version of ourselves
0: um, she did and it's and it's immense and i can't exactly remember what it is uh, right now but but what she talks about is is a it's a um sanskrit word called Manvantara, and that is a huge period of time which includes all of these cycles so you've got, you know, the cataclysms and, and the development of humanity, and you know, right from the beginning of, of the the um the appearance of our earth and the appearance of our universe, and that's all part of a huge period of time, which is billions and billions of years, which is a Mambantara. And then it all goes back um to nothingness again and all starts up and has a has what a period which is called a pralaya, which is kind of a rest period where there's literally no manifestation and then the universe starts to to you know manifest and, and, and appear again and that's something which which science is kind of thinking about now that kind of idea of expansion and, and contraction and universe is going in cycles so a lot of what she was talking about is kind of appearing in kind of scientific theory now and what people are talking about now she was she was hinting at back in the 1870s and 1880s
1: yeah, it's, it's really intriguing stuff, you know, um, and, and to, to that point you made earlier about um, presenting this Eastern view of things that, um, you know, would have been far broader in scope, you know, and explicitly in terms of the example of time. Um, then than kind of say with the Western Christian view of things. Um, she must have met an awful lot of, of resistance to, to these ideas, not least because of her gender, but then secondly kind of bringing forth these ideas that were absolutely perpendicular to to um, the, I guess the, the, the thinking of the day.
0: Yeah, I mean she um, she had a lot of enemies um, particularly, um you know when, when she went, moved to uh, adyar in india and 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 set up the the headquarters of the theosophical society um the british raj hated her because not only did she kind of say to um to people in india that you know they should be ignoring the christian missionaries and you know sort of in in embracing their own religious traditions um and she also says that you know the, the the vedas and that outdate the bible you know the bible if anything borrows from the vedas in many ways you know with its kind of its mythologies and ideas and um, she upset the you know the british raj and she she basically was talking about um you know the fact that the she felt the raj should get out Of India and let India run its own affairs. And Annie Besant, who became the president of the Theosophical Society, carried on on in that vein. And and Gandhi was a member of the Theosophical Society. He was an associate member. Um, When he met Blavatsky, he was so impressed with her ideas about, you know, the importance of of accepting Eastern ideas as well as Western ideas on, on, on religion and mythology. And also her ideas about universal brotherhood and her kind of ideas around everybody being a brotherhood slash sisterhood, you know, in terms of, of race and, and, and religion. Those, everyone is still equal and everyone is still um, part of a, a, of a collective humanity. And these just weren't ideas that, that were that acceptable um, at the time. And I remember um, reading somewhere that when she when she was in London, she started a magazine, which was um, called Lucifer, meaning obviously Lightbringer. And the Church of England banned it. It wasn't allowed to be sold in public um, because it was obviously a non-Christian magazine, and also it was called Lucifer. So they they got in quite a uh, you know a, a knot about it, and you know they banned it from from sailing in in kiosks. So she had to sell it privately and, and kind of circulate it privately.
1: Uh, I just I love it. I'm just I mean, you that's very punk. You know, um, she clearly was doing her own thing, and that, that was it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm an admirer of that. Um, in the um, in the chapter index of the book, um, there, there's uh, a, a huge amount of really interesting subject matter. Um, I mean, it's, it's an incredible array of, of subjects, really. Um, and one of the things I wanted to ask you about is that in chapter 5, um, there's reference to so- uh, Solomon and Sheba. Um, so, in in kind of the the history of this podcast, is, it kind of comes from exploring kind of gin lore, um, and obviously there's a big uh, gin, um, uh, big piece of gin lore around the, the Queen of Sheba or Bel Um So, I wanted to kind of ask you well, what what's the what does Blavatsky talk about in terms of Solomon and Sheba?
0: Um, she doesn't actually um, talk in any great detail, really. Um, she mentions uh, Solomon and Sheba as kind of a, um, a, a kind of a, a, an aside thing that, that kind of supports other other things that she's talking about. I mean, to be honest, I'd have to look again at the passages to see um, exactly what she does say because um, you know she covers so many subjects um, that it's really kind of you know she jumps from one thing to another. You've got Bruno there, you've got. Um, creation myth and, and water. You've got Kofinda Sami and Indian fakirs, and um, she she talks about Solomon and Sheba very very briefly. So I think it's just like a couple of uh, li- literally a couple of lines um, that that she mentions really. So okay, um, I can't really um, That's go that. Into, no without worries looking, without, without looking at, at the exact <laughs> passages really. I um, can call them up now.
1: <laughs> well, well, I mean, to to that end, I mean, in terms of the kind of the subject matter of of kind of this podcast, like there's also kind of a, a reference to uh, mischievous spirits and and kind of the the invisible world and, and kind of spirits in general. So, what was her view of of that whole spectrum?
0: Yeah, she's she's definitely got a very very strong view on on that. I can talk to you about that. Um, Uh, at some length I mean what she talks about she she first of all um talks about how there are there are two kinds of um spirit entity so she talks about something called elementals and then elementaries so if a person dies um their personality which isn't their actual core essence isn't their spirit their personality that they've had in this particular incarnation remains for a time uh, in the the astral plane on, on another plane of existence so it's kind of like you know when you take your clothes off and you leave them lying over the back of the chair somebody else can come and put them on um and what she talks about is that the, the elemental is that part of you, if you've died, that's left that kind of vibration of your your personal desires and your memories and your attitudes is kind of left lying around until it eventually disintegrates over time. And then there are these, um, that's the elementary, then, then there are these um, spirits or forces of nature, she says, which are called elementals. and they can kind of pick up your old skin, your old personality and, and, and literally um, travel around as you. And she says that that is the kind of thing when when spirits appear at seances, for example, she was saying that it's not necessarily the person who is departed that you're speaking to. It may be um, an elemental, which is is in the clothing of somebody who who has departed. So so an elemental will wear the uh, take over the elementary, which is is the the vibrational essence of your personality, which has left. And she says elementals can be very very mischievous and very um, trickster like. But when you speak to them, they will tell you all sorts of things. You know that. That the deceased person knows because they're wearing the personality and that they've got the memories of that person they've they've picked them up so um she she talks also about um these things called the diaka have you heard of of those there was a uh, a medium called um andrew jackson davis who talked about the same thing he said that the diaka were evil spirits uh, that dwelled in a place called summerland and they delighted in deceiving people and he says that their, their view of life was was um that they wanted to engage in this idea of delicious destruction playing havoc uh with people and he said that they can they can impersonate people in the same way that you know Blavatsky was talking about elementals um you know taking over an, an, an elementary um and uh yes yeah, so, so she talks about uh, spirits in, in in those kind of of terms you know kind of um, forces of nature she says that can take over or or masquerade as somebody or something an animal for example that that you know was alive but is, isn't anymore
1: and then um, her view of of the i mean because i guess spiritualism was was, was happening uh, around the same time and, and kind of growing as a tradition um what was her view of spiritualism as, as, as a whole and, and you know was that something that she partook in and, and supported
0: she was well, she originally um worked as a medium um and then she kind of she looked on on, on spiritualist manifestations as real things so she said you know Okay, there were fraudulent mediums at the time and, you know, the, the, the scientific community and, and the press delighted in, in exposing fraudulent mediums, but she said that there were other mediums who were genuine and that supernatural phenomenon that, that took place at seances were real supernatural phenomena. Or, or she always says, she always says that, that these things are, are not necessarily supernatural, they're just aspects of nature. natural law aspects of natural law that we don't yet understand completely so her view of spiritualism was that was that these manifestations were real but that the manifestations were not always the actual deceased person it could be a mischievous spirit that's impersonating wearing the clothing of the deceased person not always but um you know she said that the majority of the time that that was was the case, which wouldn't have made her that popular. I would have thought with with a number of, of people in the spiritualist community. But that that was the position that she took.
1: And then on the 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 topic of invisible worlds, which obviously is 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 hugely broad. You know, what were her thoughts on that?
0: Well, she um. I mean, she quotes so many different books and, you know, there, there are passages of other books um, that, that are actually in her text, you know, and, and sometimes you actually think it's her writing, but it's a big chunk of somebody else's book uh, because copyright laws weren't necessarily as, as stringent in those days um, as, as they are today. So uh, there are these two um, writers called uh, Balfour Stewart and Peter Guthrie Tate, and I, uh, they wrote a book called The Unseen Universe. And they talked about the idea of there being lots and lots of, of parallel universes, and um, parallel worlds. And, and, and she kind of she she was very supportive of that idea, because obviously that kind of fits into the whole chains and rounds idea of the fact that you know, or the idea that the, the, the physical earth as we know it is just one of seven planet Earths, and there are six others occupying the space, this same space. But we can't see them, but we visit them at different times during our existence because we vibrate at different levels. Um, so we move from one vibration vibratory level to another, and, and, and the material planet earth that we know at the moment is, is a very kind of dense vibration, a very heavy vibration. But there are other planet Earths um where, you know, for example, the astral earth, there are all sorts of entities that, that exist on the astral earth, and it's the first place you visit um after you leave this particular incarnation you know in between this incarnation and your next one it's the first place that you go to and and she says later on in nice and somehow she talks about kind of vampiric entities and you know even, even werewolves um and all of those kind of amazing mystical kind of supernatural things existing on on these different um versions of of, of the earth beyond the the, the material plane
1: what was uh what was her view of of uh, vampiric entities what were they what what did they want
0: um well i mean really she's she's talking about um as you say the idea of kind of negative energies and things feeding off of off of human human energy so um you know again looking at those ideas of the elementaries and, and, and the elementals they're kind of feeding they're attracted to that human energy and they're attracted to kind of um those negative things uh, about us, you know, our kind of of deeper and, and and darker desires. And I think that's really where she's she's coming from, as you as you said, you know, quite rightly, I think, in in terms of the ideas of of kind of things feeding off of, you know, a bit like um a bit like um you know sort of maggots feeding off off dead carcasses, feeding off that dark energy, which which is part of, of, of our nature. It's that kind of two-sided um, you know an ele- element of us. I mean she talks about um, in terms of, of, of incarnation and reincarnation the, the aim is that we get lighter and kind of less negative as, as we develop as human beings and as as human beings kind of go back up on that um, that evolutionary arc and, and become more ethereal and are able to uh, communicate telepathically etc cetera, etc cetera, and become more kind of guardians of other other beings coming up. And um, she says, you know, that, that you've got to kind of watch out in a way because if you, if you kind of fall down and keep falling down and kind of embrace the darker side that, um, you know, you won't be able to carry on incarnating and developing. And you'll kind of go in, in, in reverse and, and end up in kind of quite a dark um, abyss almost. Um, and she doesn't really make it that clear how you get out of it. Or indeed, if you do get out of it, because if you kind of if you go so far into that dark side, you, you're kind of drawn deeper and deeper and deeper. And it becomes harder and harder to get out of it. So um, there is a kind of like, you know, a, a warning in there in terms of, of growth and uh, and development being in a particular a particular direction. Um, and of course, she talks about um, different kind of um living being she says everything is living you know so kind of minerals are living plants are living um you know and um obviously animals are the the humans that will come into existence because we've all been animals we've all been plants you know our our psychic energy and our spirit energy has come through all of those different life waves to where we are today but as in in terms of, of the human race we don't kind of go back to those different life waves but you can kind of you know end up on a dark path which can lead to quite disastrous results
1: um and when they when she's talking about those disastrous results uh, like and we talk about kind of like uh looking at human evolution and what you were talking about spiritual evolution earlier earlier in terms of how we will evolve and kind of develop our our, uh, psychic powers and become kind of less I guess corporeal on uh, that kind of that kind of uh, projected path the reverse of that so as you described falling into some kind of abyss and going uh, further and further away um, from the from the light, maybe as as a broad uh term and, and falling into kind of the 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 darker um states. What does that bring with it? We, we know you you've established that it's hard to come back, but what how does that change the the person, how, the soul? What what do they become?
0: I think um you you basically become more and more kind of addicted to, to darkness, so you kind of become more of a force of darkness than, than, than a person. Um, I mean, personally, I think that um, my own view as a theosophist is that everybody can kind of turn it around and and, uh, and move back, but um, I think what Blavatsky is talking about is this idea that you kind of lose your humanity completely because you kind of disconnected disconnected yourself from it so you're no longer able to kind of um develop with the rest of, of of humanity and you become something something else which is much kind of more um uh, feral you know feral and sort of um more kind of dark energy um which is not really where you'd necessarily want to end up um <clears throat>
1: yeah, it's, it's, it's a regular theme on this show. Um, okay. you know, we, we, we just be able to kind of pull that thread and kind of understand kind of what's going on because people have lots of negative experiences with, with, with spirits, you know, lots of great ones too, but it's trying to understand kind of, well, what is interacting with us? What are its motivations? You know, um, some things are predatorial, some things are not, you know, and, and as you pointed out earlier, discussing with the, the, the idea of, um, um, elementals and uh, elementaries that, you know, s- spirits lie all the time. You know, there, there's plenty of stories of people taking undertaking uh, kind of very complex or long protracted uh, instructions and carrying them out and to find out nothing happens. You know, they've just had their time wasted. And as you said, that kind of trickster element is, is really relevant. But beyond that, there's also that kind of predatory thing, you know, that that, it, that is destruction. And and certainly that's res- resonated both in the, kind of the Bible and the Quran. You know, when um, I'm paraphrasing now, but but um, uh, in, in the Quran, after um, Iblis falls and is cast out by by Allah, he talks about kind of waiting on the path for 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 human beings and beset them on all sides. You know, so that that predatory element seems to be tied through kind of all the kind of major religions that there that, that there is something there that is adversarial um but it's interesting to hear from the theosophist perspective that that is us that's us if we've made terrible decisions or and and not looked at turning them around um
0: yeah i mean um from a theosophist point of view everything really is us because we are you know, we are part of that universal consciousness. We came from the absolute consciousness, which which kind of manifested the, the, the universe that we have today and the entire cosmos. And um, so we are everything really. Um, so, you know, I mean, you, you look at, at um, rocks and plants and you look at animals, it's us, you know, it's, they are the future human beings. They are coming through. Atoms, we started out as atoms. Um, And then we grew and grew and grew and and came through in these different life waves. So everything that that exists is is part of of the absolute and and the the divine spiritual energy. And and we are part of that. So, yeah. And from a theosophist point of view, we are it. You know, we we are everything and everything is embodied in us. So that's really the, the broader thing that Blavatsky is talking about in terms of brotherhood. It doesn't just include humanity. I mean, humanity... Theosophists are, are kind of the custodians of of the earth and of all the creatures and you know all of the The whole planet and and you know, are we failing in our job at the moment of you know being custodians for For the planet. Um, so these are all kind of you know questions that are quite um important from a theosophical point of view
1: Thank you. Um, one other bit you 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 talk to in chapter two is is the idea of will, and the divine idea. Now within thelema like um, will is, is a huge concept, you know, like and do what thou will should be the whole of the law and, and whatnot. How does um, how, how does theosophy look at the concept of will? What did um, what did Blavatsky think of it?
0: Um, well, Blavatsky was talking about the idea of thought forms and the idea of thoughts having a kind of vibrational energy because everything that exists has a vibrational energy and has a power to it and has a life to it so every thought that you think has a power and a life to it and it goes out into into the universe goes out into the ether and eventually it grows into into something so um Thought and the way that you think and the way that you apply your thoughts and the and, and the, the, the way that you direct yourself is incredibly, incredibly important because um, very much included and, and, and bound up with the ideas of theosophy or the ideas of karma. So that includes what you say and do, but also what you think. So, um, you know, even if you look at the new thought movement and, and a number of years ago, I was I was very, very um. You know, deeply into the ideas of, of New Thought and you know, the secret and Louise Hay, um, and all of these kind of the people who were talking about the power of, of thought and the power of the law of attraction, etc.
1: What's um, what's new thought? I'm afraid I'm not familiar with that.
0: Oh, new thought. And mm. um, well, new thought, have you heard of the secret? Yeah. 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 New thought is basically um what Rhonda Byrne was talking about in The Secret, that you know, your thoughts have a vibration energy. And, um, you know, you, you, every, everything is based around the law of attraction. So if you say and think good things and you act in a good way, then it will bounce back to you. Things, good things will happen and you can basically uh, say affirmations and make things happen by repeating those affirmations and focusing those thoughts. And she wasn't the first person who came up with that. That was actually um, something which appeared shortly after Blavatsky with people like Florence Scovel Shin. Um, who were talking in the 1920s and 1930s about the power of the mind and the power of uh, of thought Um, and there was a guy um, whose name I forget um, but he wrote a book called The Master Key System and The Master Key System I think was a book from the 1930s and basically Rhonda Byrne has taken it and made it into the secret you know I mean she hasn't plagiarised it but she's taken the ideas of it I mean so new thought although you know it's got the word new in it isn't very new because it's over 100 years old you know and Blavatsky was talking about it in Isis Unveiled you know and and she was and also Balfour Stewart and Peter Guthrie Tate were talking in their book The Unseen Universe about the power of of the mind and and thought waves traveling out and having a vibrational frequency. So again, you know you can trace a lot of these things back much earlier. you can trace them back to Blavatsky and you can trace them back to the people that Blavatsky was reading and that Blavatsky was referencing. So um yeah I mean so so the power of will and and um, the power of thought is is an incred- incredibly important thing for for Blavatsky and she talks about, um, the divine will creating things um, in all of the different religions, you know, um, the the idea of of um, the divine will creating stuff out of out of the darkness and and you know kind of um, over the uh, over the waters. And she also um, talks about the idea that because we are sparks of the divine, we have that ability within us. But at the moment, we use it without really thinking about it, you know, because we just our thoughts are running away all the time and we don't kind of, you know, stop and think what their consequences is, what the consequences are. Um, as a result of, of what we're thinking and doing and what we're saying. So um, she was kind of flagging up this idea that as sparks of the divine and coming from the divine will, we also have that ability to influence reality through our own thoughts and through the power of our own wills, but it's really in, our, in in its infancy in terms of us getting hold of it and really understanding it and and, and using it you know, in 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 the right way almost.
1: And to to that end, you know, what were her views on on magic? Was she a practicing magician?
0: Um she felt that um magic was natural law, so um, she could. I mean, she used um, natural law to manifest things. There's there's a famous story about the teacup. Um, you know, when when she went on a on a journey with some friends in India, and um, someone extra came along, and um, there wasn't there, there wasn't enough stuff for them. You know, to join in the picnic, and they said, oh, you know, we're short of a teacup and a saucer, and and she said, well, you know, if you dig over there, near that tree, you'll find a teacup and a saucer. And lo and behold, there was a teacup and a saucer there, exactly the same um, as the, you know, the ones that, that, that had already been packed up for this for this picnic. And, and people were saying that, you know, she couldn't have necessarily known because the person who came, you know, wasn't expected to be there and they stopped at a random place. So she did, um, you know, use uh, certain supernatural powers that she had, she was able to, to kind of use them for manifestation, etc. But her view was these were things that are just part of natural law and we don't understand them yet. So um, you know, she was saying there's nothing really kind of spooky, if you want, you know, spooky in inverted commas about them, it's just that we are so material now, you know, we are at such a kind of um, low vibrational energy of materialism in this kind of the, the, the stage that we're at in humanity, that we, we've lost those abilities, you know, the Lemurians had those abilities, the Atlanteans had those abilities, but they didn't use them for good. Um, and over time we've kind of lost those abilities but now we're back on that that upward arc to kind of discover those abilities again and I suppose in a way um, the whole kind of idea of new thought and using the mind to focus on things and seeing what manifests and you know finding out what you can actually manifest through your own thoughts is kind of like the new baby steps in that process
1: uh, i like that um so to 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 wrap up where is the if, if people want to 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 find the book and find out more about you where where can they where can they find you
0: uh well the book is um available um anywhere you can get it in any any bookshop um you can also get it you know digitally if you wanted to go on amazon if you felt that you enjoyed amazon and you wanted to get it on Amazon, then you can get it on Amazon. Um, and if you wanted to get it from the Theosophical Society, they, they've got it as well. So if you wanted to give them a hand, um, then that'd be a great place to go. (laughs) The Theosophical Society bookshop.
1: And then too, if they, if they wanted to follow you or or contact you, are you on the, um, are you on the interwebs? Are you, are you tweeting?
0: Uh, no, I don't tweet. Uh, I'm, I'm not. I've not really got a, a presence on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or, or anything. I,
1: I commend you. I commend you. You've got you've got the triple threat down. I'm I'm only on two, but uh, wiping out three. That's that's pretty impressive going.
0: Yeah, I I, I was on it um, for a while and then um, I couldn't keep up with it. So I thought, oh, do you know what? I'll just I'll leave. Like Greta Garbo, I'll just leave.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time. It's been really interesting talking to you. And um, and you know, again, I, I commend you on, on on the work and the particularly the, the the scope and breadth of it is 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 vast you know and and just like looking through the index in terms of like of of what uh what you guys sent through to me just looking at the index is is almost overwhelming i can't even imagine what it begins to feel like taking that on um so yeah um yeah fantastic fantastic work um brilliant well thank you very much for your time and thank you for coming on the spirit box
0: well thank you for having me it's been great
1: Lovely stuff. Thank you, Moon Laramie. I really enjoyed that. If you want to pick up a copy of the book, uh, you can do so in the links in the show notes. There's a link to the Theosophical Society and to Treadwell's London, both of whom stock the book. And, uh, you know, give the little shops your love. You know, Uncle Jeff doesn't need any more pocket money. He's okay. Amazon will survive. Our little bookstores need all the love. So let's give them some uh, some support that's it from me Uh, again i hope you enjoyed the show and uh stay tuned talk soon bye